Any other announcements? Okay, well, the last few weeks uh, I was sharing, not counting last week, because Holly and I shared about our trip to Virginia, but um, last few weeks I've been sharing on how to deal with our doubt and unbelief. Five steps to dealing with doubt and unbelief. And everyone has areas in your life where doubt and unbelief still remains. And if you don't know that you do, you just get into a situation where you haven't been in before and you see what rises up. You get uh, put in a place where you're not comfortable, you see what rises up. There's something in you that's uh, afraid or scared or something's going on. So God wants us to deal with these areas uh, of doubt and unbelief so we can naturally become stronger. Now, I want you just to say this before we even get started. If you consider me your pastor, the Bible says I am the shepherd and overseer of your soul. Not the chief shepherd, that's him. But he does still call me a shepherd or overseer of your soul. So if you believe that I pray over these sermons, and you believe that I go to, the, to God to get these things, which I definitely try to do, then I want you to make a plan before I even preach this to do what I'm going to say. Because uh, you're the listener of the word, and there's the doer of the word. The listener of the word is like the, likened to the man who builds his house on sand, and his house comes crashing down and wonders why. But the one who does the word is someone who's likened to someone who builds their house on a rock. So if, we just, if you don't have a plan to take notes, or you don't have a plan to do what I'm instructing you to do, then uh, you might have a different outcome. I don't know how else to say that, but that's what Jesus said. Now, I'm not him, and I, and I do my best to bring my message to you in a way that doesn't push you to sleep <laughs> and doesn't bore you. I try to bring uh, good stuff, but I just want you to prepare your mind to, like in your heart, I'm going to do what he's going to say, okay? And if I don't bring it from the Bible, then don't do what I'm going to say. You go back and check it, make sure it's scriptural and all. But if it is, if we're going to grow in the things of God, we actually have to do the things of God. Okay, it can't be this pie-in-the-sky idea, just like, oh, I guess it'll happen in the sweet by-and-by. We're in the sweet by-and-by right now. We're in the time. It's now is the day. Today is the day of salvation. It's not, we don't need faith in those things when we get to heaven. Amen? You're not going to need it. You're not going to hunt. I wonder, I wonder what God's will is when you get to heaven. You're going to know, okay? So the last time we shared how the enemy comes at times when we're at our weakest moments, in times of trial, tribulation, pain, trauma, when bad things happen in our lives, the enemy is there to speak and whisper lies into our hearts. You see, you see that unbelief is, talking about unbelief, unbelief is actually a belief that we believe more than we believe God. So unbelief isn't believing nothing. Unbelief is believing something that we believe more than God. And believing the enemy's lies is actually doubting God's truth. Okay? Believing the enemy's lies is doubting God's truth. And Jesus said, you will know the truth, and the truth will make you free. So we're not going to be able to get free from the stuff we need to be freed from unless we know God's truth. And your intellectual knowing is not going to get the job done here. I just say that from experience. It has to be a knowing in your spirit, man. A knowing it has to go from here to your heart. And when you know it there, you'll be transformed. Be transformed or renewing your mind. So we're going to go over the five steps I'm not sure how far we'll get into it today, but just as a way of review for those that weren't here and a refresher, step number one is to recognize areas of doubt and unbelief in our lives. Recognize areas of doubt and unbelief in your life. Step two, realize that doubt and unbelief is sin or missing the mark of God's best. These are from past messages. You can find them online, on YouTube, on, I don't know what all we are, on iTunes, everything else. Um, step three, reveal our doubts and unbelief to the Lord. Take it to God. Don't pretend like it's not there. 
bring it to the Lord. Yeah, go ahead. I like that. You guys got a couple guys that are taking pictures of the screen right now. So you can remember that later. That's good. You're planning on doing it, right? Uh, so step 3A, reveal our doubts and unbelief to the Lord. Don't pretend that they don't exist. Don't pretend they're not there. Bring them to God. And then 3B is reveal. Ask Holy Spirit to reveal the associated lie that you believe that's connected with that doubt and unbelief. Because every time there's an area of doubt and unbelief, there's an area of a connection with, with a lie that you've believed. Most likely from a time you were a child or something like that. So often these lies come after traumatic events in our lives. The enemy comes when we're at our weakest and we're in pain and trauma and he sows these seeds of doubt and unbelief in our heart. That's what he does. For example, you might hear the enemy say, if God really loved you, then this wouldn't have happened. If God really cared, then things would have worked out differently. So I bet you everybody in here has heard that before. The devil is, is, is sneaky, but he's not very creative. God is the creator. He's not, he's not a creator. He's a copier and, and a perverter. So he sows these seeds of doubt and unbelief because he's after something in your life. Yes, he wants to bring you pain. Yes, he wants to torment you and annoy you and be a pain to you, but he's after something. He actually has a strategy, a strategic thing in mind. He is after your faith. He's after your belief in what God said because he knows the Bible says all things are possible for those who believe. He doesn't want you doing those all things. So he's after your faith. He's after what you believe. He wants to pervert what you believe. So he'll so influence you to doubt. So you'll receive less of the things that God wants you to have. Not just having, but doing for others and those things too. So the devil is going after the word and he's going after your faith. And you say, well, pastor, do you have a scripture to prove that? Well, I said, well, yes, I do. I have multiples. So, but I, I want to show you. Think of the parable of the sower. The parable of the sower. There's four types of soil. Remember that? The four types of soil is us. It's us. And you could be all four at the same time. Do you know that? In different areas of your life, different areas of your faith in your life, you can be all four of those at the exact same time. It's not this one is this person and this one's that person. No, it's, I think it's all us. Amen? Okay, you okay? So the one is the pathway. Another one is the stony places or the gravel, like a driveway. One's a pathway you've walked on a bunch that's made it hard. Uh, one's stony places or gravel. The other one is thorns, and the other one's good soil or rich soil. And only the good soil, the rich soil, is the only one that produces the harvest. Some of the other ones start to produce, but then trouble comes, or something bad happens in their life, and all of a sudden, boom, the seed's stolen, the thing's dead, and it doesn't produce. But only the type that has good soil will produce that harvest. So I want to show you this in Matthew 13:4. This is from the Passion Translation. It says, as, as he cast his seeds, some fell along the beaten path, and the birds came and ate them. Here the seed was sown, but the birds came and ate them before the seeds had a chance to do what seeds are designed to do. Okay, and Jesus explains this in verse, this verse in Matthew 13, 19. He says, what was sown along the path represents the one who listens to the message of the kingdom, but doesn't understand it. The adversary then comes and snatches away what was sown into his hearts, into their hearts. So here the birds eating the seeds represents the enemy snatching away or stealing the word that was trying to be sown in our hearts. In Mark's version of this parable, it says, And these are the ones by the wayside where the word is sown. When they hear, Satan comes immediately and takes away the word that was sown in their hearts, immediately. So like, 
even right now. Or as soon as this mess is over right now, uh, you don't believe that. You don't believe what Pastor Ryan said. You don't believe this. You don't believe that. I can't help it, but he's, gonna try, he's going to come and try to steal from you. He's only here. The only thing the devil does is to steal, kill, and destroy. And he's after to steal it so he can destroy it so he can kill it. Not just, what, not just you, but what you believe. If you can kill it and steal it, destroy it, you're not going to believe anything. Guess what you're going to receive? You know, I heard uh, Kenneth Hagin one time say this. This lady, she was praying. I, didn't, I heard him tell a story. I didn't hear him in person. But he said, I uh, saw this lady praying. She looked really fervent. She's praying away. And he said, what you praying about? He said, well, nothing in particular. And he said, well, honey, that's exactly what you're going to receive. <laughs> I'll tell you, some people don't like to hear that, but I'm telling you, the truth is the truth. You're praying for nothing, you're going to receive nothing. And get, how are you supposed to know if you receive what you ask for in prayer if we're not praying specifically? Just this vague uh, God, whatever. I mean, you need to know what you're praying for. So the enemy doesn't wait until that seed has time to sprout. The enemy doesn't wait till that thing's in full bloom or it's grown and strong and has these deep, strong roots. The enemy comes immediately to steal the seeds before they have time to germinate and produce a harvest. God wants you to germinate. He wants those seeds to germinate. He wants you to produce a harvest. But we're going to have to have that good type of soil that's going to have to pull some weeds. Amen. We're going to have to pull those other seeds that are sown around it, the thorns and the, get the, the rocks and stuff out of the way. And that's the stuff that's in our heart. And those things in our heart come from experience. They come from pain. They come from trauma. They come from all these things. And we have to let the Lord pull those things out so it becomes good soil and then those things can grow. God wants you to receive the things you ask for when you pray. It's all through the Bible. I don't have time today to show you that. I've done that in other services. But the devil is after the word because he's after your harvest. I don't think he cares that much about us that much. I don't think he cares that much about your life or what you're doing. I think he cares about the harvest, though. And he cares about, uh, he cares about hurting God in any way he can. So one key factor in the devil's ability to steal from us, it says in this parable, is a person didn't understand the word. They didn't understand. Have you ever been there? You've uh, read the Bible? I've taught myself all kinds of crazy stuff <laughs> over, over times. And over the years, thank God, he's showed me different and corrected me. But uh, I didn't understand the word, or I went through something in my life, and I didn't understand, where were you, God? Where were you? Why didn't this happen? Why didn't this go the way I thought? Why, didn't, why did this happen to me? Why didn't this happen to them? <clears throat> this person's bad. Why didn't, why didn't that happen to them? It's this guy over here who's good. And we get these questions in our hearts that roll around in our hearts, and guess what that is? If we don't deal with it, it becomes what? Doubt and unbelief. It's, it's doubting the goodness of God. It's doubting the character of God. It's doubting the integrity of God. It's doubting if God's going to do that for you. It's doubt and unbelief. And guess who sowed that seed? Because you didn't understand. And so we have to actually take that time to pull aside and pull away with God and say, God, I don't understand this. And then you have to stay with him until you have the answer that he gives you. And if you don't, if I don't, if anyone doesn't, the seeds of doubt and unbelief start to grow. And in that area of your heart, there's going to be gravel. There's going to be rocks. There's going to be hard places where those seeds that are tempted to be sown there are not going to have soil enough and depth enough to actually grow and produce a harvest. That makes sense? So he, if we don't have understanding, it, we become an easy target for him to steal the seed that was sown. That's why I think it says in Proverbs 4, 7, it says, in all you're getting, get understanding. If you don't understand uh, how things work... 
And you have to understand that God wants you to understand. It might be a mystery to you right now, but he wants us to understand. But that's going to come through spending time with the Lord. Spending time with the Lord, not just listening to someone on TV or someone on the radio. But actually, not that that's bad. It's that those are good. But you alone have to get with God and ask him, why did this happen? Or why didn't this happen? Can you give me two or three verses? Can you speak to me about this? Why, why did this? Do you think Jesus did that? I think he did. Imagine after the day John the Baptist died. Had his head chopped off. It's his cousin. He was, I'm sure he was in prison. And all those things. And after he was told, it says he immediately went away to a mountainside to be by himself to pray. Do you remember that? And I'm sure he used to have some things to ask God about that. So let me show you. God wants you to know. He wants you to understand. Let me show you this in 1 Corinthians 2, 10 through 12. But God now unveils these profound realities to us by the Spirit. Yes, he has revealed to us his inmost heart and deepest mysteries through the Holy Spirit, who constantly explores all things. After all, who can really see into a person's heart and know his hidden impulses except for the person's spirit? So it is with God. His thoughts and secrets are only fully understood by his spirit, the spirit of God. For we did not receive the spirit of this world's system but the Spirit of God, so that we might come to understand and experience all that grace has lavished upon us. Notice the word understand there is a couple of times. So you might, one of the reasons the Holy Spirit was given to you is so you might understand the things that were freely lavished or poured out to you by grace. And there's things we're going to have to pray because we go through things in life that are painful, don't we? And if we try to process them with our brains, we try to process them through someone else's experiences, or this is just normal, or this is just whatever, guess what that's doing to your faith life? You become in that walked path, that hard path where nothing's going to grow there. Okay? So we need to understand this. Not understanding makes a seed an easy target. So just as the birds go after the seeds in our garden, the enemy is going to instantly go after the seed of the Word of God in our hearts. Now, how does he do this? He doesn't just eat the seed, like uh, eat the Word like birds eat seeds, right? He doesn't just like chomp, chomp, and go and eat some like Pac-Man video game. So he doesn't do that, but he does come to snatch away this. And how does he do it? He sows seeds of his own. He has his own seeds that he sows. Right in the Garden of Eden, what did he do? Did God really say that? God didn't say that. Then he actually calls God a liar. God, God just, that's not, he basically says that's not true. God knows if you eat this, your eyes will be opened and all this stuff. He had this dialogue going on with them, and he's sowing doubt and unbelief into their hearts until they went from this walking, intimate relationship with God in the cool of the day to, I'm going to believe this snake more than I believe God. I know it doesn't make sense, but everyone in this room, we've done that before in some way or another. Because when, when painful things happen, he tries to come. So uh, let me show you an example of this. The very next parable about uh, the enemy sowing seeds. The very next parable says, this parable, the enemy sows bad seeds among the wheat. In that story, the harvesters asked Jesus, do you want us to harvest that now? And he said, no, don't harvest it right now. If you do, when you're so, pulling up the, the, the wheat, you might actually, when you pull up the tares, you might actually pull up some of the wheat by mistake. 
So they're allowed to grow together. And I know there's a different application to what I'm saying, but at the same time, they said, who sowed these seeds? I thought you put good seeds in the ground. Who sowed these? And he said, the enemy did that. Right? The enemy did that. So just want to show you the enemy tries to sow seeds of doubt and unbelief in your life, and they're very subtle. They can come through your friends. They can come from relatives. They can come from a TV show, a movie. They can come through Facebook. They can come through any kind of media. They can come through anything that has a voice that you hear. That doubt and unbelief can be a seed into your heart to make you doubt the things of God because he's after your harvest. So Jesus didn't want the wheat to be accidentally pulled up while they were harvesting the weeds, so he let them grow together until the right time. But I'm telling you, he doesn't want the weeds to grow up together in our hearts. He wants those pulled out so the actual seeds of the Word of God can germinate and produce a harvest. If we could only see ourselves through the eyes of God, if, we could see, if you could see yourself how God sees you, you would, you would uh, I think we'd all be living a little bit different lifestyle in some way. We would expect things differently when we pray. We'd understand this partnership of God's want me to pray, not because it's going to change God, but it's going to change me. It's going to change me to believe what he said. So um, let me go on here and just refresh you on these steps. Well, actually, let's just go on to step four. Okay, so once you've journaled all your doubts and unbeliefs, you've wrote it down in your prayer journal, you've prayed over it, if you get triggered in something... That's probably some doubt and unbelief in there. If you have trauma, hurt, and pain, you don't want to go somewhere, don't want to do something, ask yourself why. There's probably some trauma there, and that trauma, most likely there's lies of doubt and unbelief in there. Those are the places to look at, but also just ask the Holy Spirit, are there areas in my life that I don't believe you? Is there an area in my life I don't trust you? Is there an area in my life where deep down I, I don't believe, I believe that you would do it for this person, but I just don't believe you'd do it for me? And journal and pray about those things and ask God for those. And what is he doing? He's going to reveal areas of pain, areas of doubt and unbelief in our life so he can heal them and you can trust God more fully. Guys, that is God's intended desire for everybody, for everyone. Amen. So once you have those written down, you've journaled all that, you've prayed, you feel like you've gone as far as you can with that, go on to step four. And step four is to renounce our agreement with doubt and unbelief and with the lies we have believed. Renounce our agreement with doubt and unbelief and with the lies we have believed. And if that's a newsflash that you believe lies, I let it be a newsflash, but it's a truth flash because we do. There is no doubt and unbelief without lies. The devil is the author of lies, the father of lies. He's the father of doubt and unbelief. He's trying to tell you everything that's opposite of Christ, everything's opposite of the Word, everything opposite of God. He's trying to make you believe that. And we have believed them. Uh, and we all have. So how can two, let me show you this, we, when we agree with the lie, we're agreeing with the enemy. When Amos 3.3, 3, can two walk together unless they agree? Some translators say, can two walk together unless they agree on the destination or they agree to where they're going? Because if... Someone says, I'm going to cross, and Orleans says, I'm going to Newland. You're going to eventually have to split paths. But how can two go together unless they agree? When we agree with the enemy, guess who you're walking with? Are you okay? Now, this is, not, this is no way in any shape or form a condemning message. This is an empowering message. Because if you can take care of some of your doubt and unbelief, guess what your faith is going to do? Guess what your confidence is going to do? Guess what your peace is going to do? Guess what your fear is going to do? 
Amen. Well, it's good to sing the song about it, right? And, and Marshall sing the prophetic worship about fear going, fear going. But this is taking care of our fears. This is taking care of some of that stuff in our heart, getting those rocks out of there, those gravel out of there, so we can have confidence in the, in, even in the eye of potential chaos or trauma or pain or something. We can still have confidence. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I still don't have to fear evil. What can man do to me? If God is for me, who can be against me? God himself wants you to believe that his word, amen? Amen. amen. So how could two walk together less than agreement? So I'm not referring to your salvation here, but your fellowship. Your fellowship with God is going to be hindered when we don't agree with him. Your communication, your fellowship, your flow with the Holy Spirit in your life, it's going to be hindered if you're agreeing with the enemy instead of agreeing with him. And what's introduced when you agree with the enemy? Blame and shame. Isn't that what happened in the garden? Instantly, they hid. And instantly, they started blaming each other. It's this woman you gave me. She said, well, no, it was the snake. And then they just kept passing the blame down the line. Blame and shame is going to be connected with doubt and unbelief and believing the lies of the enemy. So when we agree with God, though, which is part of our fellowship, is part of our discipleship, is for us to believe with God and walk in fellowship with Him. Amen? So... Uh, once it becomes clear to us that we are believing something that's not true to the Word of God, we need to come out of agreement with that and come into agreement with what God said. We come out of agreement with the lie and into agreement with the truth. We are renouncing that lie. So Webster's Dictionary has a uh, definition for renounce. should have it on the screen for you. Renounce means to give up, refuse, or resign, usually by formal declaration. To refuse to follow, obey, or recognize any further. You are refusing to believe that anymore. It may look real, it might smell real, it might feel real, but if God didn't say it, if it's not true to God's word, it's not real in the spirit realm. It's not, and the spirit realm is more real than this realm. This is, the spirit realm is the one that's going to remain forever. So Jameson Fawcett Brown says in their commentary, that renounce means to literally bid farewell to something. I like that, bid farewell. Bye-bye lies, Bye, farewell lies. Farewell that God doesn't love me. Farewell the lie that I don't, I'm not really saved. Farewell the lie that, that Jesus didn't take my sins and carry away my diseases. Farewell these Everything that's opposite of what God said is a lie. And the Bible said, let God be true and everyone else a liar. God cannot lie. I mean, if he said there was a purple elephant, you'd see a bunch of Barneys running around and Barney-looking things running around like in no time. He can't lie. So we are bidding farewell to lies and embracing the truth of God's word. Let me show you this from a scripture in 2 Corinthians 4, 2. It says, But we have renounced the hidden things of shame, not walking in craftiness or handling the word of God deceitfully, but by manifestation of the truth, condemning ourselves to every man's conscience in the sight of God. So I'm not going to expand this verse very much today. There's a lot in there. But... We do see here Paul is renouncing hidden and shameful things and practices in exchange for God's truth. So renouncing hidden, shameful things in exchange for God's truth. And guys, that's the process of dealing with our doubt and unbelief. It's, it's getting, what is it? Renouncing the lie, renouncing what you agree with, bringing it into the light, and exchanging it for God's truth. What is the truth you want me to know? You know, if you believed a lie for 30 to 50 years, it's going to take some time to get that seed rooted and grounded in your heart, especially if it's contrary to what you've believed. You can't just hear the truth one time and think that it's going to stick. 
The, the birds are going to come and take away the seed of that because you didn't understand it. You're going to have to hear this truth again and again and again and again to get it rooted in your heart. So sometimes some of these hidden shameful things are connected to things we believed, lies we believed, because our, our belief influences our behavior in a big way. So renounce these shameful things, these lies or practices. We come out of agreement with them, and we bid them farewell. Bye-bye. Okay? So, um, yes, this is the process of freedom, and we see that a lot in our sozo ministry. This comes up pretty much in every sozo ministry that, uh, time we have with anybody. The person is believing lies. And so sometimes we ask them, Father God, we get them to repeat after me, Father God, what is a lie I'm believing about you? And they'll hear things like, he's cold or distant, or he doesn't want to talk to them, or he doesn't want to help them, or he doesn't have time for them. These are very common ones we hear people say. And these lies often come from a result from a painful relationship with their father or mother. They've somehow superimposed over something that their uh, impression that came, they received from their father or mother, and they've put that into, my parents treated me that way, so God would treat me the same way. And, and you know, you might think you wouldn't do that. Uh, I, would, I would bet that a lot of us have. I can't say everybody, but I bet you have, because you don't do it on purpose. It's just how you're... Your subconscious works, how you interpret things. So if your earthly father was cold and distant, he didn't have time for you, you didn't feel safe to open your heart up and share your dreams and things with him, you didn't have that, most likely you're going to feel that Father God is the same way. You wouldn't have got it from the Bible. You wouldn't have got it from Scripture or probably even a sermon. But from the enemy, he sowed these seeds over the years that God's like that too. God doesn't have time for you. He doesn't want to talk to you. He's busy. He's got more important things to do. Worry about your whiny stuff. You know, I, I, you know it's funny, but I bet you we've all heard that. Oh, I, 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 you, I can't pray for me to be healed of, of this because so-and-so has an issue. It's way worse than that. and they, they need it way more than I do. Like God has this maxed out limit. He's going to run out of his anointing for helping everybody. So these lies come in. And uh, then we usually lead them to pray a prayer to forgive their father or their mother how they've uh, if, they, if they did represent them in that way, if they were cold or hard to them or short or quick to them, uh, and just in that way, we get them to renounce that lie and ask God, what is the truth? And, so they ask, and usually we ask them, what's the lie I believed in that memory? There's a whole big process to it. But after they renounce the lie, they renounce the lie that Father God would treat them that same way. Then we say, what's the truth you want us to know? And they hear, often hear things like this. So for example, if they perceive their dad as cold or God as cold, or distant, they might hear God say, I'm as close as a mention of my name. Now, when you hear God say that to you, it can really penetrate your heart and do something there. Um, if You might need to hear it again, and again, and again, but it's the contrast there. He doesn't have time for you. He's too busy for you. He's cold. He's whatever. To God saying to you, I'm as close as a mention of my name. I mean, he's always right there. And you're going to believe one or the other right? And wherever you are in life, when you're going through something, I got to go through this all alone, or nobody cares, all this stuff. Guess what that came from? Lies, doubt, unbelief. It's where it came from. Seeds sown for the enemy. You are never alone. It's impossible to be alone. David said he could go to the depths of Sheol and God would be there. <laughs> I mean, you can't be away from him. So if you believe that God wants, uh, doesn't want to help you, you might hear after you renounce that lie, I'm an ever-present help in times of trouble. 
Maybe your dad was too busy to help you do something, or he was too whatever. So you could instinctively, again, not say anything bad about your dad, and not trying to, in some people's dads, you might have a, a different story. But the devil plays a part in how we, our perception. Even if your dad wasn't like that, he could st- still cause you to perceive these things. And you might hear also, the Lord is my helper, I will not fear. What can man do to me? So guys, this is part of dealing with those roots of doubt and unbelief in our heart that came when you were just a little kid, came as a little child. Why you doubt God today? It's because we practice doubting God for our whole life. Amen? Are you okay? So if you believe the Lord doesn't have time for them, they might hear, I always have time for you, or you are my son in who I'm well pleased. I can't tell you how many times I've heard people hear that, and they like, I can't say that. They hear God say, I'm your son or daughter in whom I'm well pleased, and they won't repeat it back. I'm like, did, and I say sometimes, did you hear, just hear God say, you're my son with I'm well pleased? Like, yes. And they're like, well, why can't you say that? Well, because he quoted, he said that to Jesus. I'm like, yeah, and are you now not a son of God? Are you now not born of the, of the king, born of the father? And they, they won't want to say it because they believe that lie so long, they cannot speak the truth that God loves them like a father. He does love you, and with you, he is well-pleased. Amen? The Word of God says he loves you just as much as he loves Jesus. So why wouldn't he say that to you? Like, well, Pastor, if you knew how I was living, he knew this. I think God knows when he said it. I'm pretty sure he was there. So, uh, all right, so another example I want to share with you. This one's from the Sozo Manual. You ask the person, how do you view Father God, or what do you think of Father God? What's your image? How do you picture him? So the person received ministry responds, I know he loves me, but he has to. And when I go to communicate with him, it's like he is far away and does not answer me. So I don't know if I have done something wrong or if I am not that important to him because I am not able to do what I see others doing. That's very common, okay? Then the prayer minister that was leading the solo session says, repeat this after me. I forgive my earthly father, for even though I knew he loved me, I did not feel safe to talk with him. I forgive him for seeing, seeming far, uh, to be far away from me, so far that it seemed he could not or did not want to hear me, much less answer me. I forgive my earthly father for not making sure I knew I was important to him, even when I did something wrong. And then the prayer minister will go back to them and repeat this after me. I renounce the lie that Father God is distant from me and doesn't want to answer me. I renounce the lie that I am not important to Father God. So these are ways we deal with doubt and unbelief because those things are deeply rooted things, and they're sneaky. It's sneaky. Like, you wouldn't, you wouldn't think that way of your dad. You wouldn't think that way of God. But inside, deep down, sometimes we do, these hidden things. But the Holy Spirit will reveal those hidden things so we can renounce them and receive God's truth. Amen? Amen. I want to go into step five, but I'm not sure you guys are all still here or if you're tapping out or uh, ready to go to nappy, nappy, la-la land, uh, or not. Uh, are you guys good? good? Do you want more? Let me, let, me, let me know you want more by pulling it out of me. Uh, pinch, your, pinch your neighbor if they're falling asleep or snoring. Okay, you want more or you want me to stop here? I'm not like, I really going to ask you. Like, okay. Okay. Step five. Step five. So step four was uh, renounce the lie and... Uh, and also, what you've agreement with doubt and unbelief. Step five is we can use multiple R words here, and that's recite, rehearse, or remember. 
recite, rehearse, or remember. It's not enough to hear the truth one time. Faith comes by hearing. So the goal is actually to believe what God said to you. And this may take time. That's the goal. It's first you're excited, yes, I heard, but now the goal is to believe what you heard. Just because you heard it one time doesn't mean it's rooted and grounded and established in you because you've heard a lot of times that you're no good. But you have to hear uh, just as many or more what God says about you. So let me show you a couple of scriptures. Hebrews 4.14. To seeing then that we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold fast our confession. So it's not talking about you. It's seeing Jesus. Seeing Jesus who's passed through the heavens. Uh, he's our high priest. Let us hold fast our confession. Meaning let's keep saying the same thing again and again and again until we believe it. Okay? Hebrews 10.23 says, Let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering, for he who promised is faithful. If you are not hoping for something, I can guarantee you you're not believing for something. Okay? So you hold fast. At first, you're holding fast your confession. It's just a hope. Well, I, I kind of hope this happens. I kind of hope this is God's will. I kind of hope God wants to do this in my life. Or I kind of hope I'll get this job. Or I kind of hope this... And you get, have to get a word from God on that, either a rhema word, a scripture verse or something, and get those words in your heart and hold fast the confession of those words. Hold fast confession of that hope, but just a hope at first. It might not feel true. It's probably not going to feel true right now because your reality is different than what you're saying. Okay? Are you guys good? All right. So you have to hold fast that hope, hold fast the confession of your hope because God is faithful. And that will move from hope to faith to you possessing what you ask for in prayer. The Bible is filled, Old Testament and New Testament, exactly that same pattern of God wanting us to receive things they ask for in prayer. Not just by hope, but by faith. The challenging part is dealing with our doubt and unbelief is we've believed it sometimes so long. We hear something fresh from God. If you don't remember it, if you don't recite it, if you don't rehearse it in your mind again and again, play it over like a record player, Play it again on repeat, repeat again and again, a CD, repeat it again and again. If you don't repeat it, it's not going to have time to go from here to here where it's actually going to produce that harvest. And in the meantime, the enemy's going to come and steal that seed that was sown so you can't have that harvest. You say, well, that doesn't sound fun. That doesn't sound fair. Well, guess what? We are in a fight. We're in a war. Whether we want to be or not, I don't want to be. I don't, I'd rather be in heaven in a peaceful environment and no, no chaos, confusion, or any kind of conflict. But guess what? That's not where we are. We are in some regards. We're seated with him in heavenly places. But on this world, we're going to have trials. We're going to have tribulations. We're going to have trouble. But take heart. He has overcome the world. If we're going to get the word in us, we actually have to spend time with the word. He is the word that was made flesh. So we have to change to new ways of thinking, new ways of speaking, and this process takes time. You guys probably heard Rodney Hoag share this when he was here. His grandfather has a, an old farm, and uh, down the road from his house is this nice barn, and his grandfather had gone down the road to that barn so many times in his old truck, they made these deep ruts in the, road, in, the, in, the, in the dirt. It wasn't really a driveway so much as just the truck on all this grass so many times it made these deep ruts, and they were so deep he could sit back and not even put his hand on the steering wheel and just touch the gas, and that thing would just drive itself right there. All he had to do was touch the gas or brake. And, you know, that's, that's how our thoughts work. What you thought about the most, they make those big ruts, those narrow 
pathways in our brain. And the, the path of least resistance is where we naturally go to first. It takes effort to pull that truck out of that rut and make it start blazing a new trail, a new pathway for your mind, a new pathway for your heart to believe. And that's what, what did God say? What did he say? I know this is my reality. It's not Christian science. It's not mind over matter. It's what did God say? And that our heart be rooted and grounded on what God's word says. It says, man doesn't live on bread alone, but every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. Okay? So uh, we got to get out of those ruts. And that's what Romans 12, 2 is talking about. Do not be conformed to the pattern of this world. It's easy to get conformed to the pattern of this world. Well, it's just normal, brother. It's just normal, sister. That's not normal to God. To be transformed by renewing your mind. Then you'll be able to test and approve what God's will is. His good, pleasing, and perfect will. If you're going to judge the will of God by your reality of what you're seeing around you, you're going to have a different view from God's reality. Because you can only know His will through his word. As you transform your mind to think like him, that's how we know his word and know his will. So that's how uh, we conform to his image. So it's going to take time and effort to remember those things God said and blaze a new trail because we've been in those ruts for a long time. We've got to pull out of that rut and start making a new pathway. So I want to give you an example of this from in my life. Um, we're trading the truth for a lie. We were living in Roanoke. Some of you guys heard this story before. We were living in Roanoke in uh, 2005, and uh, I had a job working at a church there. And when I, every day I went to work, I had to leave the kids home with Holly, and they were homeschooled then. And they couldn't go anywhere because we had one, just one vehicle. And so I'd go and go to work, and they couldn't go to the park. They couldn't go get groceries. They couldn't do anything. And I was starting to feel kind of bad, but we were only making, at first, 1700 a month. And I had to pay rent, and I had three kids and a teenager, uh, foster kid living with us, and a dog, and uh, it was, I mean, you just divide it, and it only goes so far, and so, but I started noticing we needed a car, and I was like looking at ones on this side of the road that were for sale, and never, it's funny how you're looking for something, you start seeing it, like you never saw it before, car for sale, or house for sale, or something, but I'm noticing these things, and I was just thinking about getting a loan, I didn't even know if I'd really qualify, because we, we didn't have a lot of money, so um, one day I was just, I just barely was awake, and God just spoke to me, said, uh, why won't you just let me give you a car? I mean, this was like Rama news flash, talking about uh, counter of the way you're thinking, right? And God is like that. He totally thinks different than we do. So I'm like, wait, what? I knew it was God because I was barely awake. I was like, wait, what? You want to give me a car? He's like, yeah, I want to give you a car. I'm like, so how does this happen? Like, how, how do we do this? And he's like, okay. I mean, he's, I, I had zero faith God was speaking to me, but I'll show you where I had doubt in a minute. But um, I said, write down the type of car that you want. And be specific. Don't just say a brown car. You know, just write, be specific. So you'll know it came from me. Write down the car you want, the details and stuff. So I was like, all right. So first car came to my mind. I've asked this a bunch of times. They said, why didn't you ask for a Jag or a Mercedes or something? Like, <laughs> I don't know. It wasn't in my heart. And uh, it wasn't, uh, I, I don't know. This is, so I asked for, I wanted a, a Honda Accord like my parents had when I was growing up. First car I drove, first car I learned to drive in and stuff like that. So I want a Honda Accord, and I want it, want it to be tan. I want it to have power windows, uh, AC, and a decent stereo. Not, not asking too much basic stuff today, but that's what I was asking for. So I wrote it all down, had all, and I'm like, okay, God, now what do I do? And he said, thank me for your car. Now, this is where doubt and unbelief kicked in. Like, wait, what? You want me to thank you for a car that I don't have? Yes. And then he, he didn't talk to me anymore after that. And it was, it was, the conversation was over. That was it. So uh, I was like, okay. So I had my prayer journal. I wrote this stuff down. 
And so I just started saying, thank you, God, for my car. And it felt empty. It felt shallow. It felt, even though I knew God spoke to me, I still totally doubted because of experience and pain or whatever that God was actually going to do it. Like I could see, yeah, he's going to do it for this guy or that guy was going to do it for me. So I just started walking around the house different times of the day. God, I thank you for my car. I thank you for my car. And it felt stupid, honestly. If you ever, if you ever held fast the confession of your faith, I'm telling you, if in your flesh it feels like distant, doesn't feel real, feels like you're almost like you're lying. But I just kept saying it two, three times a day, randomly throughout the day. And, you know, and after about a week of saying that, it started to feel like it started to take, get some traction to it. Like, hmm. I was like, I remember one morning, I was like, God, thank you for my car. It's so nice. Man, I can just see it now. And I was, I was envi- envisioning it, you know, I just after I said it enough. And it's just so nice, and it's this and that and whatever. And I just kept, and it started to become alive in me. It went from just a hope to faith. So it was about 17 days after I first started this process of receiving this car. And uh, we went out to eat with our friends, Mo and Melissa Diggs from, well, they're in Maryland now. You guys, many of you met them. And we went out to eat with them, and we went to this Mexican restaurant. I had to run back to the car, forgot the sippy cup, and all this, come back in. And Holly was talking to this other couple that we knew through Mo and Melissa. And uh, Holly goes, you got to talk to him. He's got something to say to us. I'm like, what? I had no, I wasn't even thinking about it at that moment. She goes, guess what we've been praying for? I guess he wants to talk to us. I'm like, a car? She goes, yes. And he, goes, and he says to us, uh, I heard you and Holly have been believing God for a car. I said, actually, yeah, we have. We hadn't told anybody, just each other. Didn't tell anybody. You don't have to tell anybody. Sometimes our telling somebody is our way of trying to manipulate it to make it happen. If you really want to know it's from God, you keep your mouth shut and just stand on the word. But anyway... Uh, I, I, I said, uh, yeah, we moved for a car. He goes, well, I was actually bought a new car yesterday. He bought a nice car, too. He bought a, a, a Porsche SUV. <laughs> it was a nice car. But anyway, uh, he said he was about to trade in this, his car to the dealership, and right before he did it, God spoke and said, don't trade that in. I, have, I want you to give that to somebody. And he's like, okay. And he said, instantly, you and Holly's face appeared in his head. He just saw us. And so he just happened to see him the very next day at the restaurant, you know, how God makes those things happen. So... Uh, I said, okay, well, what kind of car is it? Just curious. And he said, it's a 1988 Honda Accord. It's tan. Uh, and, of course, add power windows and AC. And uh, it was exactly what I'd written down and prayed for. And I was a little overwhelmed, like, whoa. He goes, come with me after we eat. He said, I'll drive over to the dealership. You can take it home tonight. I'm like, praise God. This is awesome. I was so excited. So get it home. And it was, it was nice. It did it. Got it to work it back. And everything it was just, it was great. So the next day, he called me. He said, you know what I've been thinking? And I don't think the tires on that car were very good. I didn't drive that car very often. My kids mostly drove that. He said, why don't you meet me at Walmart, and I'll put four new tires on it for you. Like, and we'll change the oil, too. I'm like, sure, I'll be ready. Tell me when. I'll be there. So uh, we go meet him at Walmart in Roanoke. He put, changed the oil, puts four new tires on it. Like, man, thank you so much. That is so generous. I just really appreciate that. And uh, went on my way, went to work. The next day, he called me again. A guy's still dealing with him. See how God's a rewarder of those who diligently seek him. Okay, the very next day, called again. He said, how are the stereo speakers in that car? I said, well, the stereo works fine, but the speakers are they're totally blown. I mean, they're just they're shot. I mean, they, but it's okay. I'm just thankful for the car. It's okay. He goes, no, no, it's not okay. He goes, actually, I bought speakers for that car a while ago, and I was intending to put them in. I just ran out of time. He goes, if you come by the house, I'll give them to you. So I'm like, all right. Well, when do you want me to come? He goes, come right now. I was like, I'm on my way. So uh, jump in the car, drive to his house. He pulls out, the speakers give me, still brand new, in, still in the box, never opened, still in the Best Buy bag, 
and he gave them to me, and they were very nice. And I want to just put that next uh, slide up for me, will you? If you see this shows up, you can see it. You might not be able to tell. This is the receipt that was still in the bag, and that says March 10th, 2004. So if you don't know, March 10th is my birthday. So here, I received the car February 27th, 2005, but almost a year before, on my birthday, God had this man go into the store and buy these speakers to put in my car that he knew I'd have almost a year later. Guys, God is a rewarder of faith. And hold fast the confession of faith. I didn't deserve the car. All I did, I, I had no clue that God wanted me to, when he woke up that morning, he said, I want to give you a car and that whole process. But if we hold fast our confession, thanking God for what he says is true, things will shift and change in our lives. And, uh, you know, I had that car for quite a while till something happened. <laughs> I won't say what that was. A little accident happened. But, uh, but you know, God is a rewarder of those diligent seek him. So Hebrews 11.23 says, Let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering, for he who promised is faithful. When I first started confessing it, it felt like I was saying a lie. You know, it, felt, it didn't feel true. But after I kept saying it, it was a hope, but it wouldn't feel true. I kept saying it and saying it. It became truth because God's faithful. Amen? Amen. So those are the five steps I'm going to review them with you real quick, and I'll dismiss you. Step one is to recognize area, areas of doubt and unbelief in our lives. Step two, realize that doubt and unbelief is sin or missing the mark of God's best. Step 3A, reveal our doubts and unbelief to the Lord. Step 3B, ask Holy Spirit to reveal associated lies that you believe. Step 4, renounce our agreement with doubt and unbelief and with those lies. And step 5, recite, rehearse, or remember the truth that God gives you. I actually thought of a couple more R's uh, later, but I'll share those another time. I wasn't even trying to make them all R's at first, but they started working that way. But uh, when... I'll just add this in here. You have to receive it, but you're going to receive it as you remember, rehearse, and recite the things God tells you. And then when doubt and unbelief tries to come against that, you have to rebuke that. So those are the other two hours I added in there, a bonus. So uh, you guys will stand up. I want to pray and bless you and dismiss you. Guys, God is faithful. He is faithful to his word. But almost everything we experience in our life I won't say, well, a lot of things we experience in our life are counter to what the Word of God says. And that's where our fight is with the enemy, is our fight of faith. It's a fight of faith. If there was no obstacles, it wouldn't be a fight. So we do have a fight of faith, and the only way we're going to win is by holding fast our confession of what God said. Amen? Amen? Even when it doesn't feel true, even when the reality feels totally different, that's when faith's going to work at its best. Holding fast what did God say? Because he's faithful. Not because you sinned or didn't sin or anything else, because he's faithful. Amen? So God, I thank you for your word. And I thank you that you desire for us to receive the things we ask for when we pray. You said that, Jesus. You said if we abide in you and your word abides in us, we can ask for whatever we want, desire and it'll be given to us. So God, we want to let you abide in us and your word abide and dwell in us by meditating on your word. God, I pray right now you'd help us to practice these words, not just hear them, but practice them, so we can receive the things that we desire when we pray and for the glory of God. 
God, I thank you for your word. I bless these people in Jesus' name. Amen. 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 God bless you guys. Quick um, uh, elders, deacons meeting over here. And uh, also have a media team meeting for a minute after that.